Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. Well, we started last week talking about heaven. It's amazing that we're going to go there for eternity and not, much, not many of us know very much about it. And the reason we don't know much about it is because we have not really taken the biblical record very seriously. And the reason we don't take the biblical record very seriously is it concerns heaven is because we don't want to think about what it's going to take for us to get there. We don't really like to think, what am I going to have to go through to get there? Dying is going for the believer to become one of the easiest things you're ever going to do. You're a heartbeat away from where you're going to spend eternity. That's all. It's not three trillion miles. It's a heartbeat. And if we're wise, we would saturate ourselves in the Word of God as it relates to where we really have citizenship and where we're really headed. But I want to remind you of this of chapter 2 of Hebrews and verse 14 talking about our Lord Jesus inasmuch as the children that is his children that's us have partaken of flesh and blood he himself that is Jesus likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death that is the devil and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We define death as the absence of life. All of us have to come to grips with the reality that fear is born in the heart of the evil one. He has the power. He had the power of death. And we are plagued all our lifetime with the fear of death. It may not be the fear of the act of dying, of disease, of sickness, of the termination of physical life. But remember that death is the absence of life. All of us have to deal with the death of something that we want to live. The fear of the something that we want to live dying is something that Jesus has broken the grip off of in our life. What do you fear dying? A child? A spouse? A loved one? A business? Your finances? Your health? Your body, your opportunity, what do you really fear is dying? What will cause you the most energy to be spent in worry or anxiety about it dying? Do you fear that your business as you've known it will die? I had to deal with some fears this week of my ministry dying after all these years. 
And you may look around you, and if you knew everything we've got going, you may think that is absolutely absurd to think about something like that with not only a church, but being a bishop and having a life coaching ministry in two states and all over the place. How many of you know that the devil is not reasonable? Fear has no root in that which is sound thinking. 2 Timothy 1.7 explains it like this. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. When I begin to fear, I'm operating outside of a sound mind. Because my mind begins to get fractured. And I begin to become vulnerable to not just thoughts of fear, but I begin to become vulnerable to the attacks of the one who had the power of death. He operates the power of death through something called fear. And fear is not really the absence of faith. Fear is really the opposite of love. Unconditional, unrelenting, agape Love. Whatever fear I have stems from a failure to really believe and receive that my God is absolutely in love with me and he has, has and will meet all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Would I fear if I was totally confident that he was in charge and in control and that all things had to be filtered through his love. The Lord Jesus died to release us from fear. Now turn with me to Colossians, back to the left, to Colossians 3. We briefly review where we were last time. I talked about last time, and you can get it, it's on the internet at our website, sfmin.com. There's a lot of misguided and ignorant teaching as it relates to heaven. There are those who say you shouldn't even want to know what's going on there. They point out the 1 Corinthians 2 passage where Paul says, eyes not seen nor ear heard nor have entered the heart of man all those things that God has prepared for those who love him. They just don't read the next verse. It says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Then he goes on to say, two verses down from verse 10, that the spirit bears witness of all the things that the Lord has prepared for those who love him. Do you love him? The Holy Spirit's trying to tell you what he's prepared for you. If you're like me, you get so confused and filled with thoughts that are inferior and of this world, you don't really sometimes hear what the Spirit's trying to tell you that God has prepared for you. Some people say the 2 Corinthians 12 passage where Paul said, I went to heaven, whether in this body or out of it, I don't know, but I saw things that I can't tell you about. I can't even repeat them. 
Some people say, see there, you're not supposed to talk about or think about what's going on in heaven. We found out last time we looked at Revelation 1.10 where Jesus himself appeared to the apostle John and said, what you're about to see, I want you to write it down. You ever read the book of Revelation? There's a whole lot about what's coming, what's going to happen in a new heaven, a new earth. And Jesus told John, write it down. I want my people to, and send it to the churches. So to claim ignorance is God's will is out of bounds and out of ignorance. Colossians 3.1 we read, If then you were, you believers, were raised with Christ. In the eyes and mind of God, were you raised when Jesus was raised? Yes or no? Seek the word zeteo in the Greek. Keep on passionately seeking those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Wow. How much energy do you spend, do I spend, seeking those things that are going on where Christ is seated at the right hand of God? After all, is that not where heaven is? Set your mind. Set your mind. Don't just give it a passing thought. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The real you, your identity as a believer now is tied up in the Son of God who is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Set your mind on those things. Seek those things. Passionately, earnestly, diligently seek those things. Now why would that be true? Hold your place there. Hold your place. Turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Listen to this. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Our citizenship is where? No wonder the Bible says that we are strangers and aliens on this planet because we're really citizens of a land that's not here. And the Bible says we ought to get to know what's going on there and how it operates. Well, how would I know that? Through the biblical record. What do, <clears throat> Jesus spoke over and over again about the kingdom of heaven. All right, all right don't be confused. The kingdom of heaven works perfectly there, but the kingdom also operates and will work here through the obedient, the faith and obedience of those who operate according to their true citizenship. The kingdom of heaven will operate here while you are here on this earth. The kingdom of heaven works totally different from this world and its system. For instance, Jesus said, kingdom of heaven works like this. If somebody hurts you, 
or offends you, forgive them. On this earth, it says, if somebody hurts you or offends you, don't have anything to do with them. Go about trying to destroy them. Jesus said, if someone hurts you, forgive them. Can I ask you something? Are you like me? There's some people who have really hurt you in the past. I don't have to think long about that one. Maybe you do. If you, if, if you have to think about a long time about that, good for you. Those people may be in heaven or they may be on earth. I don't know. They may be out of here. They may be here. You got some people who have hurt you? Have you become willing to say, Jesus, as your follower, I am willing to forgive them. That means, for your sake, I release them. Lord, I forgive them. They're now in your hands. I've got to stop trying to keep them in my private jail or make them see or make them pay for what they're doing to me. I can't do it anymore. I forgive them. They're in your hands. To forgive means to release. That's what the word means. Have you released those who've hurt you into his hands instead of trying with all your internal energy to get them to see it, to get them to hear it, to get them to understand? Lord, I release them. You don't do it for their sake. If somebody's hurt you, you're not going to be able to, and everybody's getting distracted about some deal here. If I'm messing up, y'all tell me. But look, you can do better than that. Just focus on the word, not the sound. You can do that. You're mature. You're not a baby. I can coach you up just a little bit because I love you. All right, now listen. You'll never forgive somebody for their sake because it hurts too bad. You forgive them for Jesus' sake because he's your Lord and he's forgiven you of everything you've ever done to hurt him. I said you forgive them for Jesus' sake because he has forgiven you of everything you've ever done to hurt him. So you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, I don't want to and I don't feel like it and I can't get there on my own. But for your sake, I hereby release and forgive those who have hurt me so bad. It's a decision, not a feeling. You do it for Jesus' sake. And you know what else? You also do it for your sake. Because now you don't have to carry them around in your inner man, keeping them in your jail, wanting them to get it. You can release them. You do it for Jesus' sake, and you do it for yours. The results are up to Him. That doesn't mean you have to get back in business. It doesn't mean you have to keep on... Uh, giving them the opportunity to continue to hurt you. It doesn't mean you, you, you have to energize somebody who's continuing to inflict pain on you. It doesn't mean that you, you know, give them the opportunity to keep on the same patterns. It, it doesn't mean any of that. It means that you release them into the hands of God and trust Him with them. How many of you know that anger and hurt and shame and guilt 
can keep us carrying people that the Lord wants us to release to Him. You were never meant to carry anybody else. Only through the vehicle of intercessory prayer. I said only through the vehicle of intercessory prayer are we supposed to carry anyone else. And that is before the throne of God for Him to do what we can't do. You can't change anybody. What's going on in heaven? Well, you know, the way heaven works is forgiveness. You know, the way heaven works, we think here, what we've got to do is struggle and strain and do everything we can to eke out a living. You know what heaven says? You get your living from your giving. You work for a giving, not a living. You work for a giving. Because you see, heaven says that you reap what you sow. So you work for seed to sow. I, I want to tell you something, church. I've never taken up an offering in 23 years. Not that it's wrong. But nobody can ever accuse me of trying to raise money for my deal. I want you, you, to get in partnership with God financially. I want you to get in partnership with the kingdom of heaven financially. And whatever the Lord tells you to do with that, you do it the way he tells you to because he's the Lord of the church. He is the high priest. But I want to tell you, the principle of sowing and reaping that we read about in 2 Corinthians 9 is real. And what the Lord wants to do is to get into partnership with you. He says that the tithe is holy, that it is His. You know what the Lord told me one time? I was crying out and arguing and fussing and hurting over my financial situation. And the Lord said, well, I'd love to bless you, Steve, but I can't. I said, I thought you were the God of heaven. He said, well, I can't. I said, well, Lord, please tell me why. He said, because you're walking around with my money in your pocket. Oh, dear Jesus. See, the tithe is the Lord's, it is holy, saith the Lord. So if I'm using it to buy a house or a car, or eat food or anything else, if I'm taking what is holy and consuming it on me, I am taking God's money and consuming it on me, and the Bible says, God says, you have robbed me, Steve, you have robbed me, you have taken my tithes, and you have invested them in yourself, Bring that tithe into my storehouse where you are receiving the word and worship and prayer covering and the teaching of my holy scriptures. And I will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing until it overflows. Now I can tell you, you can do what you want to with that, but that is the word of God.
Pastor, you don't ever talk about anything like that. Well, I did today. It's the Word. Get involved in God's economy because until you do, you're still acting like you are responsible and capable and sovereign over your own resources. Partner up with God. Don't take what is holy and do something with it so that He can bless you and get in partnership with you and open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you are not going to be able to receive. Your giving, your living is caught up in your giving. It's heaven's principle. I said, God, I can't do that. And the Lord said, it's not that you can't, it's that you won't. Wow. Did I ever get some correction? But Dean and I began to get involved in the kingdom of heaven's principles. We went from so far below, z below zero to a realm of blessing of abundance that in the natural can't be done. With no trust funds, no big investments to hit it big, No lotteries. Had won one yet. <clears throat> Heaven is not broke. Are you serious about your relationship with Jesus? Nothing, nothing tests you in what you really believe like how you handle the resources he's given you. Nothing. Well, I want us to see something here. Right, look, we could go on and on about the heaven operates differently than earth. I don't know about you, but I want to invest in the kingdom of heaven's economy. Don't you? Do you know that it's God's desire that he meet all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Do you know that heaven has an economy that is backed by the riches of glory in Christ Jesus? It's not subject to congressional arguments. It's not subject to a, an economy that is going more broke every day. Heaven has the God of the universe who created all things backing its economy. Are you involved in it? Set your mind on the things above, the way it operates in heaven, and not on this world and how it operates. Well, I need to go. I, I didn't mean to go into all that, but maybe there's a reason. I want you to see something here. Turn with me back to Philippians chapter 3, and I want to answer a question 
that so many people are wondering about as it relates to our future. Philippians 3. We read in verse 20, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. We saw last week when we closed in John 14 that Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, a, a literal place place for you. It's not some smoky afterlife. It is not a glorified extended church service. What are people going to look like in heaven? Well, this is the last question we're going to answer today. We've got a long way to go, but this is today we're going to cut it off with this. Our Lord Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven from which our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, this physical body that we've got right now, that it may be conformed to His glorious body. What was the glorious body of Jesus? Are you listening? The glorious body of Jesus was the body He carried after the resurrection. That's the body that had the glory of God that raised that, that body up out of the grave. Did you know you're going to get one of those? What did he just say? He is going to transform your earthly, physical, skin and bones body into a body that has the glory of God on it. And the glory of God, in the glory of God, nothing dead can stay. It is the body that has the glory of God, the same body that Jesus had, that likeness. I, I, I want to show you this. Go to, uh, go to Luke. And I got so excited, all my markers fell out. <laughs> go to Luke 24. The account here is about Jesus after he was raised from the dead. Now don't lose me. Why are we doing this? Because this is the kind of body you're going to get. This is the kind of body that you're going to receive. Right now, we know this for sure. 2 Corinthians 5.8. 2 Corinthians 5.8. To be absent from this body is to be present where? Bryant is right now what? Present with? Ms. Abercrombie is right now what? Present with who? All your loved ones who have died in faith in the Lord Jesus is not only, look, to be absent from this body is to be present with who? The Lord. You think that's going to be good? Nothing boring about that. But did you know 
The Bible also talks about there's going to come a time when Jesus himself returns to this earth. He's going to bring with him all of those who've preceded, those who are still alive. He's going to bring all of those with him. And the Bible says we are going to be raised and we're going to have a resurrection body like unto his resurrection body and we're going to rule and reign with him forever and ever. That body is going to be a glorious body, a body like his resurrection body that had the glory on it. Now, let's look here in chapter 24 of Luke and begin with verse 36. As they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and they were frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. Now watch this. And he, Jesus, said to them, why are you so troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, look at this, my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Another passage tells us that there were those nail prints in his hands and feet. He even told one of his disciples in another gospel, touch me and see. Look at my side where the spear was thrust. Touch me and see. Now look what he, re what he says in verse 39. Handle me and see, touch me, visualize, look at me. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus' resurrection body had what? Hands and feet and flesh and bones was visible and touchable. Your new body in heaven is going to be visible and touchable. And you are going to live and move more free than you've ever been. You're going to have a body that is recognizable. You've, uh, people say, well, I don't know if you'll know anybody in heaven or not. What an absolute nonsense that is. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that then we shall know even as we are fully known. Everything is going to be, look. If you knew somebody on the earth and you've got perfect knowledge when you go to heaven, what kind of nonsense would say you wouldn't recognize them? Flesh and blood, handle me and see. The spirit does not have it as you see that I have. Now watch this. When he had said this, verse 40, he showed them his hands and his feet and while they still were incredulous. Oh, do you ever say, oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> They couldn't believe it for joy. Joy had overwhelmed them. They marveled. And he said to them, You have anything to eat? You looking at it? Have anything to eat? I tell you, buddy, I like this part. It's about food. Do you have any food here? Verse 41. Verse 42, so they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Pastor, I just can't believe that you could have a body, a spirit, a, a resurrection body and do all those physical things. It's in the book. It's either true or it's not true. What did we just read in Philippians? Your body is going to be transformed into a body like his resurrection, glorious body. 
You're going to be visible. You're going to be touchable. You're going to be seeable. And you're going to eat anything without any problems. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good thing right before lunch, isn't it? Look. Don't have in your mind that, oh, heaven is a long way away. It's one heartbeat. Don't have in your mind it's going to be a boring, gaseous, just, uh, just state to where... No, no. It's real and touchable and seeable. Now, as we go along, you're going to find out there's some marvelous promises that belong to you. You're never going to have any more pain we're going to ask the question, do people in heaven know what's going on on earth? Can people in heaven affect what's going on on earth? Is there some kind of intermediate state between death and heaven, the future eternal heaven? We're going to answer a bunch of questions. I hope you'll stick with me. Let's all stand. Are we learning anything? Romeo, come up here and lead us in our closing prayer. Thank you for your faithfulness today. What a beautiful congregation. Look, can I tell you all something? I love you. I want you not to be chastised. I want you to be blessed. I want you to enter into eternal partnerships for His glory and your good. This is not about me. It's about the Lord and you. I'm praying for you. I love you and I want you to know when it looks like that nothing He's promised you is coming to pass. You just continue to worship and stand. Although he's not in a hurry, he's never late. That which he has promised, he will perform. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com. Dot com.